Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Today, I'm so honored to introduce you to a new friend of mine, Dora Hurley, as she tells us about a very cheap, very simple, but very delicious Hungarian Friday meal, which served both religious and practical purposes. I also talked to Dora about her migration to Ireland from Hungary and the contrast between living and eating on the continent, as Dora calls it, and the island nation of Ireland, where she and her husband raised their three boys. This episode is packed with stories and insights and another lovable grandmother, and I can't wait to turn it over to Dora. But first, do you mind just hitting that subscribe button? Thank you. It means the world to me. Good morning. Good morning. Look at your your profile picture here on Skype. It's beautiful, Dora. Oh, thank you so much. I can't actually believe you asked me to come on your podcast. I'm so humbled. Thank you. Oh, I'm completely honored that you're here. I guess for you, your life story seems so normal and so typical, but you've reinvented your life. And I find that amazing as someone who lives, you know, less than 20 miles from where they grew up. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny. That's the Irish way as well, because this, the little road we live on, we live on mm-hmm. the countryside. If you go on this road, it goes like this. This is my mom's house. That's where I live. That's mm-hmm. my sister's house. Across the road, it's my cousin's house. So much that that the kid, the school my kids go to, it's just around the corner. Mm-hmm. It's where my husband went to. And a lot mm-hmm. of the moms there went to the same school. And it's a tiny, tiny country school, like 70-something kids, three mm-hmm. classrooms. Mm. Yes. And so much of what I want to ask you about is the contrast of life in Hungary and Ireland. But let's start with Hungary and with this Friday meal that you gave me. So Friday meal. Yeah. Yeah. Because both of my sets of grandparents were Catholic. I think I know what a Friday meal is, but I could be wrong. So this is associated with Catholicism and not eating meat on Friday, I take it? Yes. 100%. But you know, it's very funny because I haven't actually thought of this until I was a grown up. Until, Um, because my nanny never explained to me why we don't eat meat on Friday. Like she was very religious. She brought up on the countryside. But the Friday meal, it wasn't just the no meat. It was also, and I only actually realized that it's because by Friday, you run out of ingredients in your house and Mm. the markets. It wasn't open to Saturday morning. So mm. you were using what you had. So Friday mm. meal was always something that definitely has no meat in it for the respect, but also mm-hmm. for money. And can you can you explain that to the listeners, what, what the relationship with the religion and the Friday and the not eating meat is? It's the it's respecting the sacrifice mm. that that Jesus made for us. So you, you, you respect it by not, not consuming meat. What is yeah. your take on what, what, um, what have you been learning on the Friday meal? You know, it's funny. I'm not sure I could have articulated it because yeah, it's, you don't eat meat on Friday because Jesus died on Friday. Okay. Why? <laughs> to be fair, my grandparents did. It was my great grandmother who didn't eat meat on Fridays. And I think yes. she would have said, 
the same about that. And for instance, like a Lenten practice, you know, it's to make a small sacrifice to remind herself of a larger sacrifice. Exactly. Well, you're, you're, you just said it beautifully, Mm. but, but that's exactly it. Mm. But then, then there's also the, definitely the other element of it is on by, by Friday you eat what you have left (laughs) in your house. (laughs) And I think that was a conveniency as well then to, to keep up with the no meat but my nana never really explained it to me I'm not even sure if it was ever really explained to her do you know the mm-hmm. way these things were just handed yeah. down because she wasn't part of the generation that would have been allowed to ask too many questions or mm-hmm. think think yeah. about too much um, and so how, that's how the recipe came right right so in terms of the meal itself so it is a very, very simple meal. Like yeah. you said, I made it for dinner last night and I almost couldn't cope with how simple it is. You know, I was like, it should have chicken broth instead of water or I, I think it's a great recipe. I'm really oh, happy. Oh, you like it? Oh, very I, good. I, I do. And I'm happy to post it just as it is because if you can make this recipe, you can make any soup because really what this is, is a technique. This is a technique. Yes. And then you can exactly. substitute. But it and is it is so simple. Is what a Hungarian soup is. And soup is huge in Hungary. So exactly yeah. up until today. So there are places where you can only buy soup. But there's 30 different kinds. And Hungarians, including myself, are mad for soup. Mm. So hmm. I think that comes from these times when that's what you had. And then you had more, you could make it fancier, but this was always there. You wouldn't need to go to the market to get this. And if you did, you would not spend more than a couple dollars. No, I tell you why you wouldn't even need to go to the market because in my Nana's house, the rule was, and that's what she, she bet that into me since I was a little girl, you always have to have a few things in your house. So she had this, I tell you about your house later, but you have to have 10 kilos of flour, 10 mm. liters of oil, 10 kilos of sugar and potatoes and onions in sex. And mm. once you have that, you have everything. And so your soup is made by those. It's, it's basically potatoes and onions and a couple of carrots that might be lying around. Mm-hmm. You do have sour cream usually because you're Hungarian and you have a fridge. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you always have sour cream and milk. And the poppy seed dish is can be used uh, stale bread so that's I'm not sure if I if I ever um if I ever mentioned that in my emails mm. or in the recipes but originally those um long baguette kind of things they were always stale bread so that was a mm. way to to use because again you didn't have on-demand shopping as we have now and right. you did have to do something with the stale bread which my nana 90% of the time grounded down to breadcrumbs oh but on, yeah there was no waste in that kitchen. Right. But on Fridays, it was used up to make this poppy seed. What is it called in English now? Again, I can't even remember. Poppy seed pudding, is it? Yeah. I, I know. I think it's another pudding. <laughs> I think it's a I bread. I think it's a bread pudding. I think we would yeah. call it a bread poppy pudding. Seed bread pudding. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what it was. And you didn't have to do then 
because you were getting ready for your big shop, like Saturday morning, big market shopping was huge in my Nana's life. It was okay. like your your week was leading up to it. And, you you know, you were guessing which supplier going to be there and is your favorite X seller is going to be there. And the, will the butcher give you the good cut like that was. <laughs> it, oh, it was life and death. You Did the butcher have the- favorites? Well, like you had to know the butcher. You might even have to sneak like a bottle of two like schnapps, you know, schnapps <laughs> like it's a hunger to make sure. Oh, man, it was it was it was serious, serious task to get the wow. Saturday. Wow. <laughs> so was the market only open on Saturday and and people would the um, suppliers would travel to the yes, town the farm. Just, so my nana oh, wow. just to give you a bit of background so my nana grew up in the ruler countryside in hungary and she married into the city like as as a lot of people her generation they migrated up to the cities and the towns to get jobs <clears throat> and get married and all that but she became a widow very young and she moved to another city and that's where I came into her life because I never even knew my grandfather. So it was just her to me. I never even thought there was, you know, when you're a child, you think that everybody just has the one grandma and that's it. That's how everybody (laughs) operates. So it was just her Hmm. and a tiny flat. It was a flat. It was a one bedroom flat with a kitchen. So it's it's again so funny because when we were in it, like her apartment was, Disneyland to me it was my Mm. happy place it's where I spent all my summers all my school breaks because my mother was a working mother working single mother Mm. so every time school was out I was on on the way to my nana Mm -hmm. and her kitchen was so small Becky I just literally called it back recently when I knew we were going to talk about it it was one sink and a four ring cooker and a tiny bit of counter top in Mm. between and a mm. fridge front of the sink. So when you were washing the dishes, you had to squeeze yourself between the kitchen, between the fridge and the sink. No window. Wow. So it was like a cooking wow. nook. A cooking and, nook. Wow. Yes. And mm. I don't even know, thinking back now, because everything was made fresh. There was pasta made fresh, bread, all the different pastries. Everything was made fresh. So mm. that's when I said it was, it was a farmhouse kitchen, a size of an Ikea desk. Mm, a farmhouse kitchen the size of an Ikea desk oh my word and I have a fridge the size of my Nana's kitchen and I complain Mm. Mm. (laughs) and she created feasts out of that kitchen I'm sure she created feasts and the wardrobe so it was a one bed so it was a tiny one bed but that bedroom what you would call a single bedroom nowadays so one single bed fitted into so there was the bedroom and then there was the sitting room and a small corridor in between and on that corridor, there was a built-in wardrobe. Again, we're talking much smaller sizes that we have nowadays. And that was her pantry. So that's where the flower yes. was lined up. I was going to ask about that because I want to emphasize 10 kilos of flour. That's 22 pounds of flour. That's not a small bag. And you said flour, oil. It was in one kilo bags. So oh. what would you have it? Like two pound bags maybe? So it was yeah. 10 one kilo bags. And lined that up. was basic so if if she Mm -hmm. said I only have three kilos of flour that meant she has 13 kilos because the 10 you only touch if there's you know maybe when it was Christmas and the shops were called oh yeah yeah like so the 10 10, is like your zero that's your starting point that's zero yes and you see that's 
I know. And I only thought of that recently because when I moved to my own place in my 20s and my nana would have come visit. And do you know what I had in my apartment in my 20s? Bottle of wine and, you know, some <laughs> kind of fancy cheese. And my nana was like, Where, where's your where's your 10 kilo flour? And you t- I'm like, I don't know how to cook. But you oh, have to okay. have that. And she used to bring me always oil and flour and sugar mm. in, my, um, in my apartment. So that was starting point. And you had to have eggs. Mm-hmm. loads of eggs and mm-hmm. a sack of potatoes and a sack of onions mm-hmm. so and she kept that all around the, the apartment so that was food storage was more important than having clothes or books mm. or anything it was over everything was this just about the saturday market or had she gone through a time of scarcity where she was like i will never be without oh, food death. Definitely. I've I've been thinking about that. And unfortunately, my Nana passed away six years ago. So I wish I could just ring her up and ask her. I'm like, what was the story with the 10 kilos of flour? But we were trying to place it together with my mom. But the way she grew up, because she didn't talk about her um, young years too much, it was rough. So I've been thinking about that. And it's Definitely, I think somebody who ever goes through a real shortness of food and not the way we think that, oh, I have nothing in the fridge, like the actual shortness of food, I think that could result in a in a, in a behavior that you always want to make sure. And it's not just for you because right. there was, so she had two kids, my mom and her son and there was me from that and there was another my two cousins but they only came later but I think she wanted to make sure that she can feed four or five people including neighbors she had very good relationship with neighbors and you know the butcher needed stuff sometimes and Mm -hmm. so I that was because also what I recently realized she used food as money almost so with my mom, we have great laughs about that. Like my Nana genuinely thought that you can buy your way through people through food. So when I was mm-hmm. in advertising and I was looking for promotion and I was chatting to my Nana, I'm like, how am I going to, you know, I need to get this promotion. I want to talk to my boss. She genuinely thought, that's not a problem. I'm going to bake a tray of something. You bring it in on Monday and you tell mm. him and you do this. I'm like, you, mm. I can't buy a promotion with good. Mm. You know, I it's it's funny, but I almost don't want to laugh because like it it does. It tells you that she really suffered from not having enough food. And if you've done that, well then yes, food is money. Food and is I everything. Know one story and that's I've only recently my mom only recently told me that like, you know, when you're a grown up and you realize like, oh, my God, I really wish I asked those questions. Mm. But I never did. I never I was so, so self-involved in my in my 20s. I never asked my Nana, you know, how how did she even end up in, in that city, the second city? And how did she meet my grandfather? And anyway, it's too late now. Um, mm. But um, I know one story that she was very young. 10, 11 or something like that. And there were six kids in the house and the Russians were coming. Now, I really wish I knew what year this was because this just annoys me now. Mm. And I know that my Nana uh, had to be, her hair had to be cut and she had to be put into boys' clothes to make sure she's safe from the Russian soldiers because they were taking girls and, Mm -hmm. yeah, raping girls and the whole lot. So Mm. you can imagine... That sort of mm. invite, and it was countryside, ruler, Hungarian countryside. There was no 
protection from soldiers or neighbors or it was farmland. Mm. So you can imagine that. But, you know, I'm just sitting here and looking at a photo of my Nana. I I especially put a few photos in front of me here. And one of them is Harvest. I know. I might send you them so you can get into the vibe as well when you're doing your recipe. Please (laughs) do. Yes. And one of them is because the other thing she always had, even though she lived in a in an apartment on the seventh floor, so it was like a big tower block. She always had a garden uh, rented. You know, you can it's almost like a communal garden, so you can mm-hmm. rent like plots to. to oh. Keep. Mm-hmm. And only as an adult, I realized that this had two functions. One is to grow the food, is we have the really hot summers, so we have all the tomatoes and currants and apricots and cherries that can be canned and conserved for the winter mm-hmm. which again I told you she had a Ikea table size kitchen so just yes. imagine canning 40-50 pe- cans of mason jars of peaches and 70 liters of tomato sauce and you know when you do the tomato sauce the traditional way you don't have the Magimix blender like I do she had to dip it into the boiling water and yeah. peel it individually. <laughs> yeah. So did you say ev- 70, 70, 70 liters 70 of tomato liters. sauce? Oh yeah. Yeah. She would have, so the whole apartment would have been, cause that was for the winter and canning peaches and all that. But the second function of this garden was to use the excess food as a barter or a negotiation ground, like oh, with the butcher okay. I mentioned, or yeah. to give it to the neighbor because then the neighbor could give you like the baker could give you bread then and she gave like a couple cans of peaches or like everything she had this way with food that was one function was obviously to never go hungry to always have food but mm-hmm. the second was to use food as almost like a currency yeah to 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 get ahead to to get yeah. to places but she genuinely thought that a lot of things could be solved yeah. if people got the right food in the right amount and then yeah. then, then could be a turn of heart. Yeah. And then she had the schnapps. So she never made schnapps herself. So schnapps, have you ever drank schnapps? It's like... I've it's never... Like pe- no, go ahead. Tell me about it. It's very strong. So it's Hungarian. It's you. It, it, it can made, It can be made from a lot of different fruit, but my Nana always preferred the apricot schnapps so she didn't even say apricot schnapps she just called that the schnapps so it's super high <laughs> concentrate now I don't want to say something silly but like 40-50% alcohol maybe sometimes 70 wow. like it's almost wow. like nail varnish super yeah and that was the cure for everything I think that's a quite a typical for the generation like the Irish use whiskey for everything you know yeah. that cures everything uh-huh. rub it on the baby's gums schnapps. when they're teething yeah. or everything <laughs> Yeah, you have a sore belly. Here's the. I'm like I'm seven. I just don't drink too much, you know. So, and the schnapps, the good ones, the homemade ones, were only made. Now, this is my nana's um, filtering. You know, like it was not. You not. You're not gonna go to the sh- shop and buy one from the chef. No, no. You have to seek out the farmer who gets the fruit from the farm that again she approved. And then he has to make it the right way and distill it. And then she would buy it, but not for money. God forbid. She had to give wow. something else to okay. get the stuff. And that was a whole operation. So to get like a couple liters for the winter, to get through the winter, you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that was, that was and, and that was all back to her garden. So what to me yeah. looked like we're just going for harvest or we're going to this. 
to her, it was a huge part of her life. Yeah. And to be fair, um, it wasn't just her, right? It sounds like the farmer was more than happy yeah. to receive oh, her big goods. Yeah. 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 Mm. Well, the last food trading was very popular, I think. Uh, she definitely carried it through. I remember she was well into her late 70s before she bought pasta. I remember wow. that so well because, and even then, it had to be certain amount of eggs in the pasta. You know, the packaging would say oh, how many okay. eggs in the pasta. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She was wow. very self-sufficient. Woman. She was cycling well, 81, 82, she was still on the bike every day. She whitewashed her house every springtime herself. Wow. Inside. Yeah. Inside? Yeah. Inside, yeah. Just to make, you know, like a fresh, fresh lick of paint, part wow. of the spring cleaning. I'm like, okay. Wow. When you would go see her, was it all about cooking and cleaning? Was that kind of, that was her rhythm? That was what she did? And you kind of observed or played on your own? Or did you guys do other things together as well? See, you're such a good interviewer. Your your questions are so well into the topic all the time. Because <laughs> I was driving home this morning um, and I was just thinking like, what, um, what do we always do? Because I'm thinking about this since a while. And do you know what I realized? My nana was in her early 50s when I mm-hmm. was um, already eight, nine, ten. You know, my mom, mm-hmm. they had my mom younger, so it was different. Yeah, different the generations were close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she was still working, Becky. It's only uh-huh. hit me recently that I went to her work with her all the time. Oh, so and she you didn't even realize a, it as a child? I didn't even re- Like, to me, my nana lived to cook for me. <laughs> and she lived to entertain me. That's what it seemed right. like. It was right. heaven. But no, she had a part-time job in a shop. Hmm. So we were there for hours. Um, I, I don't know what was I doing, but I was never bored. And there was no tablets and nothing like that. Hmm. And then she hmm. had another job where she was cleaning um, apartment blocks, the staircase, you know, the um, like wow. a maintenance, like the clean. Yeah. And so we did that before she went to this job. <gasps> and we got onto the bike. And again, to me, it seemed like... You know, it was all about me, but she had a job and she brought me with her everywhere. But I was sitting on the back of her bike, you know, the little wow. seat at the back, not the cool seat that you have yeah, now, yeah. just the flat, <laughs> the just seat. The flat metal. Yeah. And she wrapped the blankets under me so it's comfortable. And I had the, the big shopping, you know, the wicker basket on my arm, and there was another wicker basket on the on the handlebar. And we went to work. But to me, again, it never seemed like that it wasn't about me. I you, that is extraordinary. Like, yeah. This is amazing. But don't you think it goes to show that what kids want more than being entertained is just that closeness, that presence? Oh, 100%. <clears throat> and I think I was really lucky in the sense that my mom and my Nana's relationship w- was quite stormy at times. And okay. I think my Nana was trying to give a lot back so she, maybe there was a certain element that they couldn't have that amazing relationship. So my nana put everything onto me, which was very, very received. <laughs> I was delighted for that. Mm-hmm. And I think it healed my mom as well, in a way. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? I think it was, yes. it was just a win-win for everybody. Mm-hmm. I was in her life through work, through, like, I never remember her being sick. And I'm sure she was sick at times, do you know? But it's mm-hmm. just... She made it 
she made it seem like it was all about me. So the little kitchen nook, she was mm-hmm. in the little kitchen nook and I was usually sitting on the floor on the hallway mm-hmm. and she would just feed me. Like, ev- like every five minutes there was a little potato soup, then a bit of gnocchi with, mm. you know, sour cream and maybe a bit of bacon on it. And then the next course would be, so we didn't have the big, beautiful sit-down meals, mm-hmm. really. It was constant feeding. <laughs> That's <laughs> just amazing. just constantly cooking. Hmm. And everything was amazing. Like, I still... I'm wondering what else it is about what she did, how she handled your relationship that you felt all this love. Was it just through the cooking? It must have been some, what was it? I think she just treated me equally, if that makes Mm. sense. So, so she would, she would tell me about the butcher, even if I wouldn't understand exactly the deals (laughs) with the butcher Mm. that goes down. She she just talked to me all the Mm. time and, Hmm. must have listened when I was talking because I just feel like there's a constant conversation back Hmm. and forth and Hmm. and she did you know there was a a a tv I think we had a couple of tv channels only and at the start or the evening time there was a little exercise for kids before you go (laughs) to bed I know Hungarian communism (laughs) tv (laughs) and um, she did it with me so she stood Hmm. there and jumped around did it with me and she taught me how to play cards. Mm. And yeah, she just... You know, the word I'm thinking of is companion. You guys were each other's companion. Yes, yes, you're right. That's exactly what it was. Hmm. That's exactly what it was. This yeah. is just so instructive to me. You know, just this difference between being an entertainer and being a companion as a caregiver. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Wow, and I do. I I do often um, find myself thinking back of the time when I think about my own children that I want to give them this. Mm. But I have three boys, and it's oh. so hard. Sure, you know, you have four. Is it four boys? It's four boys. Yeah, I hear you. Four <laughs> boys. You have. Mm-hmm. I mean, even just hear out one from the crowd is so difficult. Never mind. Well, it is their individual needs. Yes. And frankly, it's a totally different dynamic because we both have husbands. And that, I mean, those are our true companions. And they they have siblings. Yes. And I am a big believer, especially when my kids hit middle school, we have one night a week that just the two of us go out because it's a tiny, tiny little taste of what you had with your grandmother. I have a little bit of that on Tuesdays, actually, today. Mm. I'm driving my eldest to jujitsu, and it's only a 15-minute okay. drive. Yeah. It's only the two of us. Yeah. And I really look forward to it always, and it is so special. Do you know what else? When you have one to look after, if it's a grandchild or a child, then almost every need of that child is met on some level. Right. So if the child is sick, everybody runs. Like my mother would have been there. My Nana always came up from the from, from her. She has a different city. So this is something that when you have three, the, yeah. the needs of three kids are not going to match constantly. I had my Nana for years, only me. Mm. There was no other cousins, <laughs> no distraction, mm. just me. Mm. But your Nana and your mom must have done something right because you're not a spoiled or entitled or self-centered person. 
I never felt like I'm like the classic only child kind of person mm. up until I had three kids. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, okay. And you know what's really, really funny? My mm. husband is an only child, which is super rare oh, in Ireland. It's super, wow. super rare. So there's three boys here running riots and nobody knows <laughs> what to do <laughs> because none of us had had ever experienced siblings or sibling dynamics like I often um ask my friends who I know grew up in you know big households like I'm like is this normal is that what does do, do brother right. meant to beat each other up all the time yeah. oh yeah yeah completely they normal they do <laughs> and my, I'm like you have to go out for half an hour you have to do six laps around the garden I yep. always do this because I know once they out they kind of start enjoying it and stay yes. out and mm-hmm. once we go somewhere they never want to come home. Like it's already pitch dark. Everybody's freezing, soaked through. And I'm like, can we go home? Not yet. Another half an hour. I know. I tell you, Becky, I couldn't wait until they were this age because you see, I'm going with them. I'm going to Airbnbs. I'm going to campsites. I have oh. enough travel saved for the next 20 years. But now you've been crazy. This. Maybe I think it is a very Hungarian thing to do. And this comes back to the culture difference a little bit as well. The Irish don't tend to go anywhere at the weekends because it's family time. So Sunday is church and then they go to somebody's house and the cousins are together and it's beautiful. Hungarians, we're always on the go. We just have to go every weekend. So if you were in Hungary, the conversation on Thursday and Friday, 90% of the population, where are you going this weekend? Because in Hungary, you grow up with such a freedom. You jump into the car, you go up to Slovakia. My nana used to go up to Slovakia to get the best whatever produce. I can't remember. And Hmm. then me and my mom would say, okay, let's go to Vienna for the day. It's only three hours drive. So if you leave eight in the morning, you're there by Mm -hmm. nine, 10, 11. You can spend Mm -hmm. the day there. Me and my friends used to drive down to Croatia for the weekend to the seaside. I had Mm. my best friend living in Munich um, in Germany which was a 10-hour drive, and we spent a whole year going back and forth between each other's place for the weekend. Wow. So you have, you're exposed to so many, like, I know what the Germans eat and drink. I know what the Czech eat and drink. I know Mm. what Romanian eat and drink. I have so much um, favorite foods from the Croatian cuisine. Mm. My kids don't know any of this because... Hmm. it's not it's it's Irish food and that's that's it unless you travel but you know in two weeks you're not gonna get a full take on the country right absolutely not that is so so interesting to me lose such that is so interesting there's a really big twist coming into our life this year because my mom who actually lives in New York I don't know if you know that or we, we probably never talked about this She is retiring and moving back to Hungary. And we are going to go. The minute the school is out, we'll be gone. So my kids will be introduced to the Hungarian life for the first time in their life. So I'm really excited because they'll be exposed to the language, the food, the culture, the weather. (laughs) I do want to talk a little bit more about the Hungarian food and this recipe in particular. So you've already mentioned that sour cream is so Hungarian. Yes, and it's huge. You put it on everything. So onion, you have to have an onion to start every dish. Okay. (laughs) 
okay, not not desserts, but my, as my husband said that to me in the early years when we met each other, that isn't that how every Hungarian recipe starts? Get a giant onion. I'm like, yeah, kind of is. <laughs> Get a giant onion and chop it up. And I guess this sour cream thing, it just throws me a little bit because, well, it's a little more processed. You know, it, it's definitely an animal product, you know, but it was just always readily available in Hungary. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I see. I think what you originally actually sour cream was soured milk. Oh. And then sour cream was oh, sour cream and kefir, which is now so fancy and fashionable mm-hmm. and such a health food that they charge five euros a bottle here. Mm-hmm. Like that's what we got in the in the government school for afternoon snack time, a slice of sourdough and a glass of kefir which now mm-hmm. would be the fanciest gourmet <laughs> meal. So what is for kefir, you need the, um, what do we call it? Oh, um, like a starter. Um, yeah, it's a starter. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a, um, a fungi uh, yeah. some type of thing. But yeah, sourdough and kefir and all sorts of fermented um, vegetables and sauerkraut and pickles and fermented cucumbers a big part of Hungarian cooking up until mm-hmm. up until today. Mm-hmm. My nana always had sour cream and she didn't she didn't spend money on luxury food. So yeah. yeah. And then I noticed it specifically says a quarter of a teaspoon of Hungarian paprika. So do you know what yeah. makes paprika? <laughs> well first of all, is paprika just <laughs> is it a spice grown on a plant like anything else? Yes, it's red pepper and then it's dried oh. and then grinded up. Okay. Yeah. And, and it's grown locally. So and all okay. Hungarians believe that there's no other <laughs> there's no <laughs> other to it. But it's 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 kinda like a sweet chili uh-huh. uh, powder. Is there a particular flavor to Hungarian paprika? I might be shocked for this, but I honestly don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> no. That sounds good. And then just another question about the dessert, the poppy seed bread pudding. It's not even a dessert. It's like a second course. It, that's quite a Hungarian thing to do that you have a soup and you have, we have a few different of these heavy filling puddings that are uh-huh. bread based and cheap. And that's what you pair the soup with. So it's, it's cost effective, but it fills up a crowd because you can right. make it in big batches. Right. So also poppy seeds. This is a lot of poppy seeds. Yes. And I was listening to one of your, um, episode yes he was talking about Daniela from the Czech Republic Czech Republic yes same and she was saying it's not just the seed little decoration or you buy it by the kilo so you buy it the ground poppy seed in a kilo bag and you use it in a lot of different ways you can't get it in Ireland at all no I got like a um I think it was like 75 grams and it was like six (laughs) dollars oh god oh my see this is See, I find this fascinating how a lot of a lot of foods that would be basic and poor man's food in one country becomes a luxury item in another country. Isn't, Isn't it? it? Just... Right. And it all comes down to climate. It all co- What's the climate in Hungary, yes. by the way? So we have four proper seasons, four good seasons. So we have a hot summer, can go up to the 40s, uh-huh. a cold winter, snow, ice, minus 10, and a beautiful, mild spring and a beautiful autumn so mm-hmm. four as it's in the books if you mm-hmm. open a book and you see four seasons with the hot summers and the leaves turning and the flowers mm-hmm. on the springtime and then that's what we have 
You miss that in Ireland? Oh, that's, I was just saying to my, my mom the other day that 13 years later, that's the one thing I still couldn't get used to is the lack of summer and lack of winter. There's Mm. all year. There's not Mm. a huge difference in the temperature throughout the year. Now there is because the Atlantic wind gets so, so cold that it Mm. it cuts through your bones. And Mm -hmm. even though it says 10 degrees today, it's so cold. I don't even know if I'm going to send the kids out because I feel sorry for them. Mm -hmm. Yet Mm -hmm. we have minus 11 at home and you're running around in it. Well, so tell me the story of how a Hungarian ended up in Ireland. Well, I came for a weekend. Okay, so I came. So I had I was in advertising in Hungary, and I was there for six years already. And I kind of I needed a change. Like I wanted a complete fresh start in life, mm-hmm. and sort of you know when when after college you have that big year of traveling and the whole I didn't have that I I was working already the last year of college and I I had like sort of like a midlife crisis at age 27 and I'm like all right I need a break Mm -hmm. so I sold my car and my apartment and gave back my apartment so it wasn't mine and I had a seed of a money and I'm like I'm just gonna come and see what's Ireland about because I had one friend who was here and every time she came home she was so happy and she's like oh my god Ireland is amazing and hmm. you should come and see the people and it's so much fun I'm like all right I come over can I crush on your couch yes mm-hmm. and I never left 13 years later I'm still here are you serious that was husband. it that was it I always wanted to do waitressing and I remember when I quit my advertising fancy job and I said to my boss I'm going to Ireland I'm going to be a waitress she was like <laughs> <laughs> what I had to, and I remember he gave me our office um, contact in Dublin because it's an international agency and um, sorry he not she and he was like look when you're done with your little waitressing dream then go and work for our office in Dublin and I started enjoying waitressing a lot and I, I was drawn to the food I loved going into the kitchen and see what the chefs were making like as a whole new level of cuisine was all of a sudden introduced to me that I've never seen before, not even in Croatia or Romania, like none of those countries. Really? Like there were seafood, like we don't have, like other than going to Croatia, there's no seas around, you know. Right, sure. seafood was massive, like the mussels and the cockles and the sea bass and the cod, like all these sea fishes. Mm. I was like, oh my God, it's unbelievable. And then beef. I think I ate maybe beef 10 times in my life up until age 27 because Hungary is big into pork and chicken. Beef is wow. not huge. And if it is, it's very expensive. So it's not it's not something that I ever even thought about missing. Huh. And Ireland, you were here, mm-hmm. it's beef. <laughs> mm-hmm. so there's all these beef dishes and seafood dishes. And I've worked in high-end restaurants and it was a completely new level of cooking and the sauces and the jus and the reductions. And this is unbelievable. And I started learning from French chefs and I learned a lot. Like the way I cook now, it's not Hungarian. It's not Irish. It's I don't even know what is it. I use a lot of cooking techniques from that. And then when the kids came around, I all of a sudden jumped back to traditional Hungarian cooking and I was going to the milk or to the market to get raw milk and because pasteurized was not good enough for my kids <laughs> and I did do my 
own sourdough and sprouted seeds and oh my god my kitchen went crazy when the kids were born and then fitness introduced a whole different way of cooking into it when you mm. all of a sudden realize maybe a pound of butter a week is not the way to go <laughs> to lose weight <laughs> super jealous actually at the moment because what? yeah yes you have the influence of all these cultures then you have the professional training. I mean, you've seen things and techniques and you probably know more about the science of cooking. Then you've added on this health layer. You would have so much to teach me. <laughs> See, it's funny because cooking almost skipped a generation. So my mom, she tries very hard, but my God, she can't cook, but she's not upset about it. She knows it. And every time I cook something, she's like, next time I see you, can you teach me? Can you teach me? So it's like a reverse role. You know, yeah. she was a working single mother. So yeah. she was practical. You know, she would have cooked a big meal and froze it into portions. And then we had the same thing for five days. It was still fresh and yeah. health, considered healthy nowadays. But um, yeah, my kids don't appreciate it, Becky. It's, no, of course, no. <laughs> I'm, that's one thing I'm hoping that bringing them to Hungary and we can bring them to the winter to Austria for skiing and snow sledding and all of wow. them things that they will have mm. this open-mindedness about food. But mm-hmm. also, you know what's another huge thing? I grew up in a school system where food was provided, but you got mm-hmm. breakfast, lunch and an afternoon meal because the school was from eight to five. So it's after school and school together. It was the backlash of the communism. You know, everybody did the same. We all went to the same school, same time. All the parents worked at the same hours and it was very institutionalized. Mm. But honestly, sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, I wish somebody fed my kids and they had to eat it. (laughs) Because here there's no food at all. I have to pack their lunch, feed them breakfast before they go, and then I have to give them dinner. Right. So, yeah. Same here. That's, that's a big difference because I see my friends, Hungarian kids, mm-hmm. they already eat everything because there's no choice. You get five different meals in the school. You know, there's a menu Monday to Friday and, and that's there's, what you, eat. you know, it's it's very cheap and it's all the all the foods. It's And if you don't eat it, you're hungry. So it's, there's no, while yeah. here you completely on your own and a lot of convenience comes into it because yeah mothers that are under pressure like it's very similar to the u.s the, yeah the, and then on top of it ireland unfortunately one of the unhealthiest country in europe as well in terms of food even though we have this amazing produce yeah there's i think there's like a campaign started now educating parents that treats are only for the weekend so when we were in yeah. Ireland, we actually stopped in the gas stations and ate a lot because the gas stations there in Ireland have like real food. It's not just a bag of chips. It was real food yeah. and it was delicious, but I will say it was all fried. Yes. Yes. All fried. And yeah. But it was delicious. We loved yeah. it. <laughs> I'm so interested in history and how things evolved the way they evolved. And I have a really good friend, um, an Irish friend. She's the other side of the country. And we were talking about this and she reckons it's because, you know, Irish families, even this generation, four kids are normal. Three yeah. four kids are normal. The generation before them, up to 13 kids was not out of the ordinary. Yeah. And that puts mothers under a lot of pressure. And in the last 6,200 years, the industrialization and, and food companies started to produce convenience food and mothers jumped on it. 
Yeah. As you would if you had 13 kids to feed. You would so, literally get your life back. Yeah, I mean, exactly. and that brought in, you know, it was a whole, it was a sort of need and demand sort of thing. But unfortunately, that carried on to the next generation. Okay, Dora, I've got one final question for you. I really am so in awe of the way that you set goals and then you just crush them. It's really, really encouraging. It's not intimidating. It's really encouraging because you're so open about the struggle, but you're just, you're fearless. That's probably not true, but you certainly don't let the fears hold you back. And I'm really curious, is that innate or is there some influence from your grandmother and your mother? Thank you so much. I'm struggling to to find um, an, an answer to this because this is very newfound and it's mm. it's um, like if you met me three or four four years ago you would have met such a different person hmm. and I think what happened I definitely relate this back to the point of starting fitness mm. because what happened is I was completely lost in my life I didn't I genuinely didn't know what to do because going back to where I, I was completely lost and I mm-hmm. found fitness and fitness has opened up this whole new world I finally saw people who were in the exact same boat as me and they found the way mm. and I didn't know how to change my mindset I didn't know how to set a goal or crush a goal all I knew is that I had to start moving my body because Mm. somehow everybody who did that all of a sudden started talking about this change of mindset and I was sitting here like what are they talking about (laughs) but if this is what they did this is what I'm gonna do it was almost like a lifeline it's like a torch of light into this foggy confusion I'm like okay so if I start doing fitness everything's gonna turn around okay Mm. let's give it a go (laughs) and I ledged onto it and I ledged onto it so much so I think what to answer your Mm. question what I got from my mother and my nana is certainly installed in my unconscious Mm -hmm. but I had to light the fire myself if you know mm. because there was nobody mm. and you know yourself like and what you're doing now with this podcast you know yourself there's nobody else gonna do it for you like mm. nobody mm-hmm. and the realization of that and fitness that there's nobody who's gonna come in here and right. take these extra kilos of me or give me energy or give me drive or passion and that led into a whole new personal growth and it's so funny when when you when I saw what you wrote, I'm like, oh my God, is that me? Because I, I'm so incredibly proud that somebody would describe me as this person now, because that's all I wanted to be, like this driven, passionate person. Mm. But it's still very new. It's mm. so that's what it is. And the realization is that nobody else is gonna do it for you and there's no mm. magic potion to take. You mm. have to do the work. Mm. That's all. So, okay. Well, your kids are home. They sound adorable. I really think, I don't know how many of my listeners are in Ireland or will be in Hungary this summer, but I would love for people (laughs) to know about you and your work. If I was to hang an image in my home, it would be what you're taking. Really, truly. 
Absolutely. Oh, from you, Becky. Oh my God, I'm so blown away. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Thank you. Tell oh, me. Thank you. Tell tell anyone who's listening how they can find you. Where, where, and how they can yeah, find. Yeah. So it's just it's my name. So it's Dora Hurley Photography on mm-hmm. social pages, um, Instagram and Facebook, and the website is DoraHurley.com. Okay, and I will absolutely link to all of those in the show notes. Dora, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so Dora's. much, Becky. Did you, get, did you get the answers you were hoping for? Oh, so much more. Thank you. Have a great day, Dora. You too. Thank you. Thank you so much to Dora for coming on and thank you all for listening. You can find Dora's contact information on my website, thestoriedrecipe.com, under this show's notes. Simply click on the episodes tab to get there. Also, you can find recipes for this very simple potato soup, which you can turn into absolutely anything you like, and the surprisingly tasty, very simple poppy seed bread pudding. Next week, we'll be talking with Emily Ho about the Chinese New Year, which is coming up on January 25th, and a cake her family always makes to celebrate that event. Please take a moment to subscribe right now so you don't miss that episode, and because it will help me out if you do so. Also, if you'd consider leaving a review for the storied recipe, that would mean the world to me too. Thank you so, so much. Have a great week, my friends.